Hello and welcome back to Series 3 of Launch, Alan and Ivory's careers podcast. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and today's episode is Banking 101. Joining me to tell us more about what it is like to work in the banking department, I have Dominique Crowley, a senior associate in the restructuring and insolvency group, which is part of the broader banking department, and Abina Meze, a second seat trainee who did his first seat in a leverage finance, another group in the ANO banking department. Thank you both for being here today. Lovely Very to excited. Thanks, yeah, for having thanks for us. having us. So, starting with the basics, Dominique, how is the ANO London banking department structured? And what are some of the key similarities and differences between the sub departments? Sure, we have seven banking teams at ANO, and they are roughly divided up around specific areas of law. Yeah. They are known internally as the B groups, which means absolutely nothing to anybody outside <laughs> A&O. Um, and each B group has a number, but we'll today use their proper names. So we have a B1, which is our corporate lending and real estate finance group. And as the name suggests, it does both general lending, any loan agreement they'll be able to pick up and advise on. And they have a specialist focus in the acquisition and the development or loans that provide money for the acquisition and development of real estate. Gotcha. We have BG, our asset finance team, which I think you may have sat in as a trainee. I have. And I have a lot of toy planes after <laughs> all the plane deliveries that we did. And I know that there was also a cool opportunity to actually go in the place where the delivery was happening. That's right. Oh, wow. so yeah, yeah. And then he's like, stay overnight. And if there's a delay, you also get dinner. So, you know. <laughs> I love your plugging, plugging the glamorous side of life at a and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very fun. <laughs> Maybe quite exciting for the delivery of, well, it's about funding movable objects. So there could be planes, trains, ships, super yachts, um, or, yeah. or maybe satellites, which I suspect there's no trip up. I know they have done work on that. I didn't do it as a training. I just did planes and ships. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's us B2. Leverage finance, which Oppenheim will explain a little bit about as he spent his first seat in that team. We have our B4, which is restructuring team. I'm in the restructuring team. And in restructuring, we advise on everything. So from new money in a transaction, you might have a distressed company that needs a loan. But we also do general lending, corporate lending in that team, as well as restructuring the deals. So distressed companies, we restructure those as well, all the way through to insolvency. B5 is our project finance team, which deals with energy and infrastructure finance. And you might find you're advising on a loan that is there to fund the creation or the building of a hospital or a dam or a power station or a stadium. Uh, so our regulatory team, that's B6. The rhythm of the work in B6 is slightly different because it's much more heavily advisory than a lot of the transactional teams at A&O. So when they're advising on regulatory changes, say MIFID, MIFID 2 changes has taken a lot of their time. They have much longer lead times on their work, so they, they can often see their deadlines coming. And it's a steady level of busyness, whereas we have more peaks and troughs in our transactional teams. And then finally, there's the fund and asset management team. And that team advises on the establishment and the maintenance of fund finance. And that is confusingly called B8, not B7. There's no B7. Who knows whatever happened to B7? We, the mystery, <laughs> mystery. of no banking. Awesome. So what are some of the key similarities and differences? You need a common level of banking knowledge in whichever banking department you're in. And 
in some of the teams, so between the real estate and corporate lending team and the leverage finance team and restructuring, some of the work is quite similar. And so from time to time, people move between those teams. I moved from one to the other. But there are some very specific product area knowledge that you need for some of the work. So asset finance, the structuring of a transaction that involves, as you know, acquisition of an aeroplane is very specific. So there's a bit less movement in those. And similarly, the regulatory team is very technical, specific areas of law and knowledge. So the work in that team is slightly different. Yeah. And I would just add to that as a trainee, even though I sat in B3, I even got involved in some B4 deals. So you do get kind of a bit more exposure. I feel like the lines between the different departments aren't too defined. Sometimes it is just for more organizational purposes. But I think like kind of just doing more of a general like transactional banking seat, it just gives you like a great exposure experience to quite a broad range of, as Dominica said, of product groups and yeah, just how banking works in general. It's very interesting. So we've talked about London banking, but what is London banking's place in the broader banking practice at A&O? It's funny, I never think of myself as a London banking lawyer, despite the <laughs> fact that I'm only English qualified, yeah. because the nature of our work is so cross-border that you're always working with people across the world, across banking globally. So it's very common to have an English law facility agreement and then obligors in other jurisdictions. So therefore, the work drives the nature, the cross-border nature of what we do. But equally, sometimes I mean, our London banking team is our biggest banking team globally. And we had a call from a partner in Aino Amsterdam recently where they were just incredibly busy. And she called the partner who I work with most and said, have you got anybody who can just draft this credit agreement to a short notice? We're really busy. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's fine. I've just closed something else. The nature of the firm is very international. And so we encourage people to go and spend time in different offices. And as a trainee in your fourth seat, you might be offered the chance to go abroad. And once you've qualified, then there's the International Secondment Programme for associates between two and five years PQE where the firm will support you in sending you to a, a different office and they'll give you a flat to live in. It's, it's very glamorous. <laughs> very nice. So you mentioned the work and the international nature of the work. And I think this is a good opportunity just for you and Abina to tell us a bit more about the kind of deals that you typically work on and what are some of the more interesting ones and why? Okay. For me, my experience in B3 was very varied. So B3 is event-driven financing. So the name of the department is leverage finance, which would mean a company which has a higher amount of debt on its balance sheet, which means that it's more likely to default on its loans. They're trying to raise some finance for some kind of purpose. Sometimes this, this purpose is they want to buy another company, so they need kind of funding to do so. Other times it's just they want to refinance an existing loan or they have it for other working capital purposes. So yeah, a lot of the work that I would do would be around that. But then B3 is quite varied. So we would do something called fund finance. So this is a bit different in terms that you're not looking at companies, but you're more looking at funds. So like Dominique has said, we'd work a lot with, I think it was the, the B8 team, the funds and asset management group. So we'd be kind of trying to raise financing for those companies. But I guess just a general theme around the type of work that we do is we're trying to raise finance for certain corporate entities in order to get them to achieve their commercial goals, whether it's buying another company or to expand or it's, it's yeah, it's very um, commercially driven. So what's an interesting deal they worked on? The most interesting one, <laughs> if you can choose it and why? Okay, so there was actually this one deal 
more in our trade and commodity finance practice, which is again, event-driven financing. More background behind it is if you're moving goods from one place to another, you kind of want financing whilst those goods are in transit. So it's not up to the company to pay for those goods. So this deal for me was quite interesting because it involved 13 jurisdictions. Oh my God. <laughs> and, as, and as a trainee... Were you the one coordinating? Yeah, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> and, and yeah, as a trainee, one of your main roles is to be coordinating between those different local councils, which are all those law firms in those different jurisdictions. So this was just like logistically challenging because on one hand we had a local council in Japan so when we were sending emails in the evening, it was like the middle of the night for them. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we had New York. So when we were sending... Just the 24-7 yeah, yeah. experience. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to manage that process and trying to manage all those emails, it was a challenge, but I think it was a really rewarding experience. Just seeing how you can work so like efficiently and well in a team, everyone working towards a common goal. It was, yeah, that was probably something that stood out for me. It's pretty cool. I haven't heard that before. 13 jurisdictions. How about you, Dominique? Same wow. question, I, I guess. I, I'm not sure I can complete with that, but I was just <laughs> going to add to what Ovina was saying. It sounds as though it was busy, but you felt supported. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think there's always someone to talk to. There's always, I feel like it's just a cultural thing about a and that everyone's super friendly. Everyone's really approachable. So whether you're, you're talking to a partner or a junior associate, there's always someone on hand to help. It was a busy seat, but yeah, I always felt supported. And I would say that's the same about the deals I've enjoyed working on most. In transactional law, you have to be able to get along with other people. You're there. Law is a service industry. You're there yeah. to help people get things done. And so you need to be able to work really well with the lawyers on the other side, your own clients, clients. If you're acting for the bank, you need to be able to get on with the borrower in order to achieve the goal. In terms of my most exciting deal, I think probably in the last year, we acted, as I know, for the lenders to AstraZeneca on its acquisition of Alexion Pharmaceuticals, which is a rare diseases company. We advised on a $17.5 billion bridge financing, which was 2020's largest acquisition of a US company. And that was pretty topical in the middle of a pandemic and, and quite exciting. And I guess one other thing is in the last two years, there's been a big change in banking, and that is that LIBOR, the London Interbank offered rate, is, is going to end and yeah. so it's finally, finally, <laughs> well, finally <laughs> for Sterling. I, I remember when I was starting my training contract, which was three and a half years ago. This was very topical. <laughs> as well. And everyone was like, it's coming. Get ready for this. Prepare. So it well, continues. It continues. And at the end of this year, so 31st of December 2021, it will be the last date when Sterling LIBOR is available. So all Sterling loans will need to be referencing Sonia, which is the replacement rate. What is Sonia? Sonia is the... It's not a, a woman, just a random girl. It's not. No, or a <laughs> member of, of a girl band. Um, yeah. So Sonia is the sterling overnight index average. And it is the rate that will be replacing sterling LIBOR. So LIBOR will go and there are five rates that are replacing them. And in uh, and they sound a bit like a girl band. So we've got Sonia as the first one and uh, Euro SDR known as Esther for Euro. And they continue. Sofra sounds margin like Sophie <laughs> for, for dollars. But there's ANO has been very much involved at the forefront of that LIBOR transition work. And we worked on the first ever syndicated risk-free rate, which these, these new rates are known as risk-free rates for, that was a loan for Shell. And then we did the first multi-currency one, which was for British American Tobacco. So it's been very exciting to be at the forefront of those deals. That does sound very exciting. So, Albina, now that we have all these exciting deals, <laughs> all this great work <laughs> that you can do, 
Can you tell me a bit more about the typical trainee tasks and responsibilities? Because I think our listeners would be very keen to know more about that. Sure. So my experience is, as we've talked about, mainly from like a transactional perspective. So that's kind of what I can talk on. So from my experience, it mainly falls into a few buckets. So as it's a transactional seat, a lot of what a trainee does is managing the process. And I think this is somewhere that training can really add value. Because even if you don't understand all the complexities of the legal issues, just being on top of your organization and your communication is is something that's really helpful and really adds value to the team. And then on the other hand, you do get exposure to drafting. So it might be helpful for the listeners, maybe if I could run through like from start to the deal to the, to the close, like kind of the, what be the perfect. typical training better, tasks are. Better than what I asked for. <laughs> Go for it. So the trainee's role really begins when you get the first draft of the facility agreement. Mm-hmm. And what the facility agreement is, it's the kind of like the main finance document, which outlines the kind of the terms on which the loan will be provided to the company. It kind of sets out the rules and obligations of the lenders and the, the corporates that are borrowing the money. So the trainee's task at this stage is you kind of fall into a few brackets. So one step is the due diligence. So whenever you're providing a loan to a company, you need to make sure that the company can actually get that loan. So what we do is we run something called company searches, which kind of say that in law, this company is valid and you just, you're checking. Where do you run these searches? Oh yeah, that's that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) In the UK, we have something called Companies House. Yeah, has records that companies have to put on for like, it's like a government website. So we have like a special program that we use to get the information from that. What's that program called? The program is called Global X. So it's kind of like a third party organization that kind of provides like a summary of these reports that's really helpful for a trainee. And then what we do then is we kind of fill out like a checklist, which we can extract the relevant information that would be relevant in the deal. Mm -hmm. And then another key training task is something called the CP checklist. Oh, the infamous (laughs) CP checklist. The infamous CP checklist. What is the CP? What is is that? (laughs) So what CP stands for is conditions precedent. And this is essentially the legal documents you need to be signed in order for money to be drawn down under the facility. So under the loan. So it essentially means for the company to be able to get money, Legally, it needs to satisfy these CPs, which means that they need to be in a form that's agreed by the lender. What the training will do is they'll prepare the CP checklist. And that just means that they'll get this really long, well, depending on the deal, can sometimes be quite long document outlining the different documents that they require sign off on. It really is the trainee's responsibility to kind of manage that process. Um, and you might do some drafting. At know we act for both the company who's receiving the funds and the lender who's providing the funds. But so, not on the same transaction. But yeah. <laughs> to be quite clear about that. Yes. Yeah, that would be a, a, a conflict of interest. Yes. Yeah. Our uh, LPC knowledge is coming in handy here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you're acting on the borrower side, then you might draft something called corporate authorizations, which because these borrowers are not individuals, they need a way to say we're legally entering into this agreement. So those are all the documents around those. And then if you're acting on the lender side, we have something called a legal opinion. Um, this is something I had no idea what, what this was coming into a and <laughs> Yes, <laughs> It's not something that you, you, I think you generally come into contact with outside of the profession. Mm-hmm. And what this does is it's an opinion given by us as a law firm to the finance parties, so the lenders, that gives them comfort that the agreement that they've entered into is legally binding and kind of more enforceable in a court of law. 
And then we also have a, things to do with the CP. So we have like CP letters. And this gives just, again, gives a comfort lender that all those CPs that I talked about previously have been satisfied. This is very helpful and yeah. very detailed. <laughs> I love it. So now that we have a better understanding of what a trainee does in banking, I think it would be quite interesting to go the next step, which is how do these tasks and responsibilities change after qualification and then as you progress in the firm? Whichever one of you wants to take this first. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to take this on. So as I mentioned previously, like a lot of the role of a trainee is like kind of more process driven. So you'll be like emailing local council, as I talked about on that deal with 13 jurisdictions, getting their comments on different things. So as you progress, I think you still do that where necessary. Your role is more, I would say, more like cerebral. You're looking at these different documents from the commercial perspective of the client and trying to put that into a way that's legally viable. Because I would say that's really what the lawyer's role is to do, is to take what's commercial and put it into a way that is achievable in a legal sense. Mm -hmm. So as a trainee, you will be involved in the main finance documents, but your main role is with the ancillary documents. So your role really changes more to more of the drafting while in a transactional seat of those main finance documents. But outside of that, I would say really what you get is as you become more senior is you really take on a more of of the role of managing the process because ANO is quite a large organization. You're always working with different individuals and different people. And it is really important that there's someone that there to manage that whole process. So as you become more senior, you're more looking at the bigger picture and you're saying, how can I delegate these certain tasks that they can be done efficiently and meet the client's expectations of getting that timeline? So yeah, for me, that's the main difference. You're more involved in that higher level uh, drafting of documents and uh, the process. I think that's right, that you you can kind of split the progression into two buckets, into the execution of the work and into the relationship with the clients. And as the job title suggests, as a trainee, you're very much learning how to do the work And as an associate, you are partly delegating to a trainee or to your PA or sometimes trying to involve our advanced delivery, which is our sort of tech focus at ANO on how to use legal tech in order to speed up and provide better service to our clients. So it's more delegation and your relationship with the client changes too because you move from being work doer to advisor to that client on how they best achieve their objectives. By the time you get to senior associate, you're also helping work out what is best for the A&O team as to how to get the work done, who should do the work, and as well as advising their client on what the work should be in order to achieve their objective. And then by the time you reach partner, still doing all of those things, uh, and you also have responsibility for bringing in enough work to run the practice and ensure everyone's got enough to do. It's very helpful, I would say. So I know, Obina, that you did banking as your first seat, but banking was actually your preference. It was, yeah. So, and you're lucky to get it from the first (laughs) try. So why did you choose banking as your preference? Yeah, there are a few different reasons. I would say coming into ANO, like the reputation is it's quite strong in its finance. And looking back at it now, I I say it's one of probably one of the best introductions into the firm. Mm -hmm. I think the kind of the seat I did was more transactional, more general banking. And I think it really gives you a really good background on the type of the work that the firm does. So, for example, now in my seat in securitization, which is a bit more focused on bonds, at the basis, we're still looking at those loans. So it kind of the loans underlie what we do in the seat. So it's just a really helpful background. Mm -hmm. And I would say just having an understanding of 
managing the process and really just knowing how to like send a good email. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm still learning this, you it's know, a, it's a process, I feel it's lifelong learning. Yeah, but I think yeah, it really gives you a good grounding in that. And then kind of going into it, I really enjoyed what the debt finance module on my LPC. And I felt like that did translate. And then apart from that, I think it's just the variety of work that I got in the kind of the general banking seat. I think coming into it as your kind of your first seat, you really want to get as much trade experience as you can. Yeah. And I think that that was really helpful. I think that's right. That banking is one of the three core areas at A&O. So we have banking, capital markets and corporate. And a lot of the work in those three teams relates to the work in a lot of other teams. So as Alvin was saying, you might be doing some general banking work, but you also work with the funds team. And in restructuring, we might be advising a distressed company. We're also working with the litigation team. And if you're working in real estate finance, you're also working with the real estate team. So understanding what happens in the hub of a transaction and then how you interact with all the other specialist areas around you gives you a really good framework to set you up for the rest of your career at the firm. So out of curiosity, Dominique, you said you didn't start in restructuring. Can you tell us a bit more about how this transition came to be? Yes. So I knew before I came to A&O that I wanted to do finance. So I did three finance seats and one capital market seat. And I qualified into the the work I enjoyed most was the work I did in, in Frankfurt, bizarrely. <laughs> and the closest work to that in London was in a team I hadn't sat in, which is the corporate lending and real estate finance team. But the partner I worked with most had moved to that team from restructuring. So I rang and said, do you think there's any chance they might take me on qualification? And he said, apply. I think I've got space. <laughs> um, so I qualified into that team and carried on doing the work I was really enjoying, which was the balance of corporate lending and restructuring. And gradually more of the corporate lending work was turning into restructuring and I was doing spending more and more time on restructuring transactions which coming back to the first question about the rhythm of the work corporate lending timelines are much shorter than restructuring timelines so you could spend like six weeks on a transaction in corporate lending and then a year and a half on a transaction in restructuring so almost by default those longer timelines meant that I was doing more and more of the restructuring work and And so was the partner I was working with. And it just sort of made sense administratively to be more involved with the restructuring team in terms of of the clients. So as Robin has said, a lot of these, what we call groups at A&O, are roughly divided by areas of law, but they're really just administrative. And where you have overlaps in clients, it makes sense that you're in the same meetings as other people doing work with those clients. So it was kind of just organic and and happened. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, thank you both. This has been a wonderful insight into the banking department. Thanks for having us. I found it very helpful. And now just moving on to the last part of this episode, the most fun part. This season, we're playing Would You Rather? Uh, uh So in order to make things more uh, exciting, we will only have 30 seconds to discuss the question and each of us agree on what we would rather do. Okay. So would you rather make a phone call or send a text? Always make a phone call. Yeah. 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 I think when you make a phone call, it's just easier to like get to know like someone's like how they're really feeling and it's, it's just a lot easier to communicate. I think for me, it depends on the circumstances because if I'm on the tube, for instance, I'd rather send a text 
because I can't hear I guess the person the speaking. Yeah. So, or if, you know, or if you're in a meeting and there's something urgent, I'd rather, again, send a text. But if it's in the evening and I just want to catch up about what has happened through the day, I think I'll agree. It's a phone call. That's for the win. That and in terms of work, if you're giving somebody instructions, you have so much more feedback on how much detail you think they, they need about the task by calling them. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, last but not least, would you rather have a constant supply of the best coffee in the world at your office or a constant supply of the best snacks in the world? If the snacks involve chocolate, then it's hands down on the snacks. Yeah, hands down <laughs> snacks. Same here. <laughs> I asked my friend this and he was like, yeah, coffee. And I was like, no, why, yeah, why would you choose that? Amazing. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been great listening to your advice. And I'm sure our listeners have found this very, very helpful. Thank Pleasure. You. Thanks for having no, us. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to tune in for our next episode, as well as check out our social media and graduate recruitment website. Mm-hmm.